Let's turn to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And let me introduce this passage. Uh, I want to tell you what happened a few years ago. I was in the States and needed to get a life insurance policy renewed. And so made an appointment with the doctor. And I went to the doctor and, you know, they ask you lots of questions. And so he took down careful notes, all my answers. And then they took some blood samples. Then they hooked me up to an electrocardiogram machine. You know, all those electrodes. And what they did was it printed out about a meter-long strip of paper that showed the pattern of my, my heartbeat. And after I left that appointment, I know that there were specialists who studied, you know, the pattern of my heartbeat because some patterns would show that this heart is healthy and other patterns could show this heart is seriously, dangerously sick, diseased, problems. Now, thankfully... The feedback they gave me was that my heart was healthy. But the reason I wanted to share that with you is that in this passage, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, James is going to be hooking all of us up to a spiritual electrocardiogram this morning. And what he's going to tell us is that if we are involved in quarrels or conflicts or fights, with other people, if we're involved in quarrels or conflicts with other people, that is a pattern that shows that there's serious heart illness going on. Our heart is in serious danger. We have heart trouble. And James isn't going to just tell us that we have heart trouble, but by the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write this passage, he's going to tell us what's the cause of that heart trouble, and he's going to show us how the power and love and cross of Jesus Christ can heal us from that heart trouble. Awesome news in this passage. So let's look at what James says. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, it is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, this is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord 
and he will exalt you. Very powerful passage here. Now, from verse 1, we can see that James is talking about times when we are facing quarrels or conflicts. We're involved in some kind of a fight, some kind of an altercation with someone else. So I thought we should ask, first of all, how can we tell if we're in a quarrel or a conflict? How could you tell? And there's some obvious signs, right? There's yelling going on, screaming going on, doors are being slammed, right? You can tell. But there can be quarrels and conflicts going on even without yelling, screaming, and doors being slammed, right? I mean, you can be in a quarrel or conflict with someone, or if, let's say, let's say that maybe this morning you're sitting on this side of the church because they're on this side of the church. You want to avoid them? That would be the sign of a quarrel or a conflict. Let's say that you're giving somebody, maybe you're giving your husband the silent treatment right now. You're just not talking to him. He was bad, okay? Just not going to talk to him. That'd be a quarrel or a conflict. Nothing's being thrown, no, thing, no yelling happening, just silence. That's a quarrel or conflict. If you're withholding love from someone, if you're speaking harshly about someone when they're not there, that's probably the sign that in your heart there's a quarrel or a conflict going on. So it's not just when we're yelling, screaming, throwing things, slamming doors. We can have quarrels or conflicts in more socially approved ways, right? So here's the question. Is there anybody right now that you're involved in a quarrel or a conflict with? Is there anybody that you're, in your heart, angry towards, bitter towards, feeling hostile towards, even though you may not be showing it? Or have you been in a quarrel or a conflict with somebody recently? So if you're not in those two categories, then you, you will probably be in a quarrel or a conflict with somebody soon. Okay, so we all have to deal with this, right? Something we all have to handle. And that's how we can tell. Now, think about that quarrel you're involved with, or you have been involved with, or one that you might be involved with soon. What James wants to help us see in this passage is what causes quarrels. What is the cause of that quarrel that you're involved in? And James' answer is surprising. Because when we're involved in a quarrel or a conflict with somebody, we always think that the cause is them, right? It's what they've done. Okay, so the reason you're in a quarrel with your husband is, well, the kitchen faucet's been leaking for weeks now, and he's just sitting there watching TV, right? He's the problem. Or we want to go out to the desert for a barbecue. We're leaving late. She's still taking time getting ready, okay, right? Or my roommate shared something with somebody else that I told him in confidence. So we always tend to think that the quarrel or conflict is them. It's something outside of us. James says that's not the cause of the quarrel or the conflict. Look at what he says in verse 1. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. It's that your passions are at war within you. The cause is not outside of you, it's inside of you. It's not what they've done, it's what's happening in your hearts. So the cause of quarrels is that my passions, my desires are at war within me. Now what does that mean, to have your, your passions, your desires at war inside of you? Well, 
when our desires are at war, it's because they're not fulfilled and they're not happy about it, right? If your desires are like, ah, ah, it's because they're not being satisfied. They're, you have a desire for something, it's not happening, and you're frustrated and you're battling. If your desires are satisfied, then they're not at war. They're just chilling, hanging out there at peace, right? Warring desires are unfulfilled desires. And so James says that the cause of the quarrel is your frustration over some unfulfilled desire you have. You can see that in verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have. Okay, so there's frustration over unfulfilled desires. So you murder. There's the quarrel or conflict. You covet. There's a desire. And cannot obtain. There's frustration over that unfulfilled desire. So you fight and quarrel. There's the quarrel and conflict. So James wants us to understand every time you're in a quarrel or a conflict, the cause is your frustration over some unfulfilled desire. Whoa. You feeling that? Now, that does not mean the other person's innocent or blameless. They may have done something wrong to you. And James maybe would encourage you at some point, once you've gotten this worked out between you and the Lord, and you're good, and you have forgiven them in your heart, you may need to go to them and talk to them about it. So it's not that they're blameless. They may have done something terribly wrong, but James' point is that even if they've done something wrong, that's not the cause of the quarrel. The cause is your frustration over some unfulfilled desire. Now, let me give you an illustration to see if you can can feel this more clearly. Imagine that you have a desire to get promoted at work. You want to get a promotion. There's a promotion that's, that's, that's open, and you want that promotion to be awesome. I mean, it would provide for your family better. There's lots of good reasons. There's nothing wrong with wanting a promotion. You want this promotion. And the wonderful thing is your boss has given you this project really, really important to the company, which is right in your sweet spot in terms of what you are good at doing. And it's due this afternoon by the end of workday, and so you're working hard on it. This project's coming together, and it's like it's 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 4.30. You're almost done, and your computer crashes, and all your work is lost. Duh! So you pack it in, get in your car, and you're driving home, frustrated over this unfulfilled desire, right? Oh man, you, you could have had this thing done. It would have looked good. You want this promotion. This is going to make you look bad now. So you're driving home and there's bitterness and there's frustration. Okay, are you feeling it? Hello, are you feeling it? Okay. Now see, you are a quarrel or a conflict just waiting to happen, right? So if you walk into your front door and say the baby is crying or dinner isn't ready right when you would like it to be ready or there's toys left on the entryway and you slip on something and, and fall down, okay, any of those things, there's going to be a quarrel or a conflict, right? Because there's frustration inside of you over this unfulfilled desire. That's what James wants us to say, is to see. Now, to make that even more clear, let's imagine that the afternoon went differently. Let's say that instead of your computer crashing, you're working hard, it's coming together, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 4.30, you finish it, you save it, okay? You send it to your manager, and then while you're driving home, you get a text from him. Superb job. 
you are outstanding at this. I am going to pass this on to the CEO. He needs to see what you've done. I'm going to put in that you get this promotion. Your future's looking really great with the company. Ha-ha, <laughs> right? You're driving. The birds are singing. Everything's wonderful, right? You walk in the front door. You slip on the toys. Oh, aren't this great that we have kids and we have toys to give them, you know? And, and maybe dinner's burnt. Who cares? Let's go out to dinner, hon, you know? Baby's throwing up. That's all right, you know? We love you. We'll wipe you up here. What changed? The circumstances were the same. What changed was your heart. Do you see that? The cause of every quarrel or conflict that you will ever be in is your frustration over some unfulfilled desire. James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is just brilliant here, isn't he? He just nails this point. So powerful. Whenever we quarrel with someone, the cause is not out there. It's not them. The cause of the quarrel is in here. Okay, but now James wants to probe even deeper. He's like a surgeon who wants to get down to the, let's get down to the cause of the problem here. And so he asks, what causes frustration over unfulfilled desires? Next question. And the answer he gives us in these verses is that the cause is a lack of God-centered prayer. And that can happen in one of two different ways. First way is at the end of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. So one reason you're frustrated over unfulfilled desires is because you haven't asked God about them. You haven't brought them before the Lord in, in earnest prayer. Because here's what would happen if you would have done that. If you, if you have this longing to get this promotion, and if you had taken time to, to bring that desire, that longing, before the Lord in prayer... You lay this at his feet. Father, I pray that you'd, you'd work so that I could get this promotion. As you're praying, as you're laying that at his feet, as you're worshiping him and thanking him and trusting him, he will so meet you in prayer. So pour his love into your heart through prayer. So satisfy your heart with his presence. So show you his sovereignty over everything, his promises for your future, that you will leave that prayer time knowing that whether God chooses that I have the promotion or not, I have God. I have you. So I'm strong. I'm at peace. I'm content. I'm praying for the promotion, but I'm not frustrated over that. I'm at peace. I'm strong. I'm, I'm trusting him. And so one reason why there is frustration over unfulfilled desires is because there's lack of God-centered prayer in the sense of you haven't prayed about it at all. But sometimes you do pray about it, and we're still frustrated over our unfulfilled desires. Has anybody done that? Where you've prayed about something and you leave the prayer time just as frustrated as you were before? I've done that. What's going on when I do that? James, James tells us, verse 3, you ask and do not receive. You don't receive the peace. You don't receive the nearness of God. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So sometimes the problem isn't that we aren't asking. Sometimes the problem is that we're asking in the wrong way. We're asking to spend it on our passions. Now, what does that mean? It's a little puzzling because we're supposed to pray, bringing our desires before the Lord, but we shouldn't pray to spend it on our passions. 
Here's what I think this means. See if this makes sense to you. We should pray about our unfulfilled desires. Pray about that you're longing for a promotion. But those unfulfilled desires should not be the main focus of our prayer. It shouldn't be the main focus of our prayer. What should be the main focus of our prayer? Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what is this grace he'll give us? Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The nearness of God is what should always be the main focus of our prayer. Not the only focus. Pray about every concern you have. But the main focus is God's nearness. God, pour your nearness upon me. Pour your love into my heart. Meet me here. I need a fresh touch from you, Lord, right now. See, this is amazing that James says this. Because we are all sinful people. God created us for the joy of knowing him. And we've all turned our backs on him. And and we've all turned our backs on him knowingly and persistently. And because of that, we face his just judgment forever. But he loves us. He cares about us. Such tenderness, such gentleness, such mercy. And at great cost to himself, he sent Jesus. At a great cost to Jesus, he went to the cross and paid for our sins. And so through trusting Christ, not by being good enough, but by trusting Jesus Christ, we're forgiven completely. We're transformed. And we can draw near to God. And when we do, even though we're not perfect, even though we are still having dwelling sin, we draw near to him and he draws near to us. And when he draws near to us, our hearts are fully satisfied, completely satisfied. Pascal uh, was a mathematician, lived in France. I think this was in the 17th century. The Pascal computer language, which I know nothing about, was named after him. That's what I've heard. Anyway, he wrote a book called Pensées, which is French for thoughts. And in this book, he talks, one of, the, one of his thoughts was that we have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts, a God-shaped empty spot in our hearts. And nothing else can fill that God-shaped emptiness other than God. Promotions won't fill that. Friends won't fill that. Money won't fill that. Food won't fill that. It's a God-shaped vacuum, so only God can fill that. Some of you need to here this morning, that's why you're empty. That's why you're empty. You're looking in all the wrong places. It's a God-shaped vacuum that you have in you. And what you're longing for really is God's nearness. Because when we pray and seek God and he pours his love into our hearts through Jesus and brings his nearness to us, all because of Jesus, what Jesus has done. Not because we're so good, but because we're trusting Jesus, because he's been so good. When that happens, your heart, for the first time, will be filled. You'll be satisfied. You'll be at rest. Your heart will never rest until it's at rest in knowing God through Jesus Christ. And that should be the main focus of our prayers. So, quiz time. Should we pray about the promotion? Yes. Okay. Should the promotion be the main thing we pray about? No. The main thing we should pray about is, God, more of your nearness. More of your nearness. So do you see what James is saying here? 
He's asked the question, what's the cause of our quarrels and conflicts? Okay, why, when you walked in the door, did you have a conflict with your wife, a conflict with your kids? The answer is not because dinner, toys, you know, crying baby. The answer is my frustration over my not moving ahead towards this promotion today. And then James wants to take it deeper. Okay, so why is there frustration over unfulfilled desires? It's because I haven't had God-centered prayer. Either I wasn't praying at all, or when I was praying, I was just saying, God, I need this promotion. Give me this promotion. Why don't you love me? Please come through with this promotion. Amen. Well, you're going to leave that prayer just as frustrated, maybe more frustrated than when you started. But see, if we will come and pray and say, Lord, you're my God. You're my king. You have my life planned out in great love and wisdom. I think it'd be really helpful for me to have this promotion. Please, Lord, bless my work. Help me, help me serve this company well so that I get the promotion. But Lord, what I really need more than anything right now is you. Fill me. Satisfy me. Show me who you are. Free me to worship. Free me to lay everything down at your feet. Because when you do that, you've, you've all experienced this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And oh, yes, Lord, the promotion's in your hand. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to go early. I'm going to leave late, although not to the neglect of my family. I'm going to, I'm going to serve you and serve them. Well, provide the promotion for me, I pray. Okay, so that's what James wants us to understand. But, but James wants to go even deeper. He hasn't gotten down to the root problem yet. So he asks, what causes a lack of God-centered prayer? Now, I need to warn you at this point, because James uses some very strong, shocking language here. And it could sound offensive to us. But James is saying this, writing this with love. The Holy Spirit inspired James, had James write these words, because he wants to shock us. Just like if a, if a heart specialist was talking to somebody who had serious heart trouble, the heart specialist would be very firm and very clear. You need to exercise more. You need to watch what you're eating or you are going to die. Why would the doctor say that? How harsh? Well, it's because he loves the person, cares for the person. So listen to what James says, verse 4. You, you know, who's the you here? It's the you who has conflicts and quarrels. This is me when I have a conflict or a quarrel with somebody. This is you when you have a conflict or a quarrel with somebody. This isn't like those people over there. This is you. You, we, me, okay? This is us, all right? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, that is hostility with God? Again, there's nothing wrong with wanting a promotion and nothing wrong with asking God for a promotion. But if you, if you haven't prayed about the promotion, if you haven't prayed and sought God and his nearness first, if your focus has only been on the promotion, if you've not sought God himself, James would say that you're a spiritual adulterer. Very strong. <laughs> now, why? Well, an adulterer, is someone who is seeking his or her romantic satisfaction in someone other than their spouse, right? I mean, you stood before God and before people, and you said, 
I'm yours till death do us part. You said that to your spouse. And now you're seeking your romantic satisfaction with someone other than your spouse. That's adulterous. And James says that when we are seeking our heart satisfaction in something other than God, when we're seeking our heart satisfaction in promotions or in money or in fame or in you know, wrong sexual pleasure or other things, when we're seeking our heart satisfaction in something other than God, we're spiritual, adulterers. It's that serious. See, God is our prize. He created us so that he could give us the joy of knowing him. He is our all-satisfying treasure. He is the infinite joy of the universe. Nothing else comes close. There's lots of other good things out there which he has created to show us how good he is. So we'll say, food, mm, you know, burritos or chicken or whatever it might be. Thank you. You're awesome. And so we'll seek our joy, not in burritos and chicken, but in God, right? But instead, we turn his blessings into our idols and we seek our joy in them and we neglect the giver and we think the gift is going to satisfy us. And those are just so puny and tiny compared to who God is. God is our treasure. He created us to know him. We're betrothed to him. And when we take our heart emptinesses and our heart hungers elsewhere, we're committing spiritual adultery. That's the root issue here. Whenever I'm in a quarrel with someone else that causes my frustration over unfulfilled desires... And the reason I have frustration over unfulfilled desires is because I've lacked God-centered prayer. And the reason I've lacked God-centered prayer is because I'm seeking my heart satisfaction somewhere else besides God. It's because I'm a spiritual adulterer. And if I'm doing that, then I'm on the brink of making myself an enemy of God. That's what James says in verse 5. He says, All right, do you suppose it is to no purpose... That the scripture says, he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Now notice that word spirit, at least in the English standard version, which I'm preaching from, it's lowercase s, which I think is right. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about your spirit, your heart, your desires. So God jealously desires your spirit. He jealously desires that your spirit would be satisfied in his glory. Be satisfied in his love. He jealously desires that your spirit seeks its satisfaction in him. So if you could look into God's heart right now, part of his heart is jealousy for your heart to be rejoicing and delighting and filled and satisfied in him. See, when we're jealous, we're jealous to get something, not God's jealousy. When God's jealous, he's jealous. He wants to give you something. The joy of knowing him. And what will he give us? Verse 6, he gives more grace. We saw that that was the grace of his nearness. And so here's God, the God of the universe. This is one of the most important truths you need to know about him. He is burning with passionate jealousy to give you the joy of his nearness, to satisfy your heart, to overflowing with peace and with joy and with love and knowing him and worshiping him and communing and fellowshipping with him. He is passionately jealous to give this to you. So if, if this is God's passionate burning jealousy, and if you are resisting his passionate burning jealousy, then you're making yourself his enemy. 
because you're opposing his passionate purpose, which is why this is so serious. That's why James quotes Proverbs 3.34 and verse 6 to help us feel the seriousness of this. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud who don't seek their joy, their satisfaction in him, but gives grace, grace to the humble who are seeking their joy and their satisfaction in him. Can you see why I warned you about the strong language that James is using here? But it's because James loves us. The Holy Spirit had him write these words because God loves us. God does not want us to be deceived. It would not be kind if it's cancer to say, oh, it's nothing, a Band-Aid is all you need. That would not be kind. Call it what it is. James is calling it what it is. Are we agreeing with what God is saying to us in this passage? I say we agree. Okay, let's agree with what he's saying in this passage. So here's where James has brought us. Verses 1 through 6 is the diagnosis. What's the cause of every quarrel or conflict? My frustration over unfulfilled desires. Why do I have this frustration over unfulfilled desires? Lack of God-centered prayer. Either I haven't prayed at all, or when I've prayed, I've just prayed that God would give me the promotion or whatever it might be, and I'm left frustrated. So why have I lacked God-centered prayer? It's because I am seeking my heart's satisfaction in something other than God. I'm a spiritual adulterer. That's why. And if nothing changes, James lovingly warns us, I'm going to become an enemy of God. I'll be opposed by God. That's pretty bad news so far, verses 1 through 6. But what's amazing is what James does in verses 7 through the end of this passage. Because James tells us that in great mercy, God has made a way for these adulterous hearts to be changed. He can change these hearts. He can forgive these hearts. He will change these hearts. He will forgive these hearts because of what Jesus Christ has done. It doesn't make any difference how adulterous your heart has been towards the Lord. You can leave here today completely forgiven and changed. You're with your desires changed. That's what he will do. So what can we do? Last question from this passage. What can we do? And here's the good news. And it's all because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Look at what he says in verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And get this next line. And he will flee from you. Amazing. Draw near to God. Get this next line. He will draw near to you. He loves you. You've been adulterous. He will draw near to you. He will forgive you. Have mercy upon you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. I mean, feel your sin. Don't make light of it. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And get this next line. He will exalt you. Us adulterous ones, he will exalt us. He will lift us up. He will forgive us. That's what he will do. So what should we do? I broke this down into three steps. First, submit to God. That is, agree with God's diagnosis. I mean, right now, what's happening in your heart? Are you saying, 
Sounds a little harsh this morning, Pastor. A little harsh here this morning. Well, yes, and rightly so. Because when we're seeking our joy in something other than God, we are in terribly serious place. We need to submit to God and agree with God's diagnosis of our hearts. So pray something like, Father, my heart has not been centered on you. I've been seeking my joy in something other than you. I've been committing spiritual adultery. For, for Jesus' sake, forgive me. For Jesus' sake, because Jesus was punished for my spiritual adultery. Please forgive me. And let this stir in your heart, mourning and weeping. See, this is so serious. We tend to make light of quarrels and conflicts. Oh, it'll blow over soon. Well, the quarrel or conflict might, but the heart problem is still there. The heart disease is still there. It won't go away. Even though the quarrel fades away, okay, whatever, the heart problem is still there. So take this seriously. Jesus, death on the cross, will forgive you. And because of Jesus, God will help you and God will fill you and God will satisfy you. But you have to submit to God. Say, yes, yes. No excuses, yes. And then second, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what's the devil have to do with this? Well, as I thought about it, when you're frustrated over unfulfilled desires, your frustration can feel like nothing can ever change. I'm so bitter. I'm so angry. I'm, this is just so wrong. And you can feel like your heart will never change. Satan's got a hold on you. Okay, because you've been seeking your heart satisfaction in something else. A foothold's been created. Satan's got his claws in there. But here's the beauty. Jesus broke Satan's power on the cross. Jesus broke Satan's power with the resurrection. And so as you resist the devil, say, Jesus, help me. I don't have the power. You have the power. Get Satan out of here. I want you. I want you to forgive me. I want you to change my heart. I want to be freed. Satan won't just release you. He won't just release you and like walk away. He will flee from you because Jesus' power will be there. So resist the devil. He'll flee from you. And then third, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Turn your heart from seeking your joy in the promotion or that or that or that and, and turn your heart to seeking God again. So pray something like, Father, you know my heart. You know I've been seeking my heart satisfaction in that promotion more than in you. I know, though, nothing's going to satisfy me besides you. So right now, help me. I want to turn my heart back to you. Bring your nearness to me. Fill me, satisfy me. Please come. Pour out your spirit upon me as I worship you now, as I fellowship with you now. Fill my empty heart. And then take, take to heart verse 8, the promise. Draw near to God. He will. Underline that word will in your Bibles. He will draw near to you. He will come. Pour his love into your heart. Meet you, satisfy you help you. So here's what James has done. He's, he's given us a diagnosis. 
Starts off, there's quarrels and conflicts going on. What's the cause? Frustration over unfulfilled desires. What's the cause of that? Lack of God-centered prayer. Why has there been lack of God-centered prayer? Because I've been seeking my heart's satisfaction in something other than God. But that can all be reversed because of what Jesus Christ has done. Just turn your heart and say, Jesus, help me. Change my heart. Forgive me. That's God-centered prayer. You're moving back. As you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Your heart will be strengthened. Your heart will be assured of forgiveness because of what Jesus has done. His, his nearness, his grace, his spirit will fill and satisfy you. Your heart will become full. Your frustration will ease. You'll become content. You'll become at peace. And you'll be able to forgive. You'll be able to overlook people hurting you. You'll be able to you overlook you know, late dinners, crying babies, toys in the entryway, whatever it might be. Because your heart will have been transformed through Jesus Christ's power. Now, some of you are in the midst of a conflict right now. And God's stirring your heart that this is exactly what your problem is. And he's doing that because he loves you. And so please, this morning, turn back to Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to draw near to you. And he will. Let's have the worship team come forward. I want to pray this over us. I pray, Lord, that you would teach all of us from this passage so that next time we're in a quarrel or a conflict, we would see what's going on, see the serious sin that's in our hearts, and see the beautiful promises you have of how you will forgive and change us, and that we would turn back to you with all our hearts and that you'd meet us. I pray that we would learn from this passage. And then, Lord, I pray for those who right here this morning are in the midst of a conflict and have needed to hear this because of what they're going through right now. And I pray that right now, Lord, they would turn to you and that you would meet them. You'd strengthen their faith. You would encourage their hearts. You would assure them as they turn to you and confess and repent that they are forgiven in Christ alone and that you will change their hearts and satisfy them and meet them. So come and do that right now, God, I pray. Pour out your spirit upon us. Let's stand together as we worship with this last song.